So what I'll do now then is I'm going to play a section of this Eric Weinstein um, Stein um, questions about Jeffrey Epstein, and then I'll pause it throughout and get your thoughts in more detail. Because I did set out to do this last time with you, um, sure. but I just got so lost in your research. I was so fascinated. We started to go off on all, on all of our subjects. So, okay, I'm going to play at the beginning of it now. All right. There is some glass wall that is preventing the Epstein story from being discussed properly. Everyone's interested in it. The questions are basic. And there's a guaranteed story to write. Simply ask the most basic questions of the officials involved and print whatever comes back. Whatever it is, there's no possibility of an uninteresting answer to the central questions. And yet, the central questions are not asked. And what are those central questions? The first one is very simple. You have to ask every government that might be involved, was Jeffrey Epstein known to be attached to any intelligence agency anywhere in the world? Then you have to ask, were his file activities known to the intelligence agencies? And was there any kind of tacit approval or understanding? Or is there a categorical denial that such techniques may never be used? What do you say to that? Yes, we I mean, we obviously know and I know that Eric knows which intelligence agency that is. It's Israeli intelligence, uh, his girlfriend and cohort. Remember, she's not just dating him. According to all the victims, she was a central abuser herself. Uh, and part of this and her father, of course, was involved in a honey, one of the most notorious honey traps in Israeli history, catching Mordecai Benunu and also stealing technology from the Pentagon and giving it to Israel. We know that his financing comes from the mega group, the mega donors, which are hardline Zionists in all of their writings and every action they've ever done. Furthermore, we know that he has not one, but two Israeli prime ministers in his black book, Ehud Barak and Ehud Olmart. Uh, Ehud Barak, by the way, helped cover up uh, rings of child abuse himself. He's witnessed at Epstein properties in person, both the island as well as the New York property, which he tried to hide. And they financed him through the Wexner Foundation that Epstein was on the board of. So more than $2.5 million went into his coffers. And they also financed him through Reporty Carbine, uh, which involves uh, Eric Weinstein's boss, by the way, or Peter Dale from PayPal, as well as Eric Prince and some other, you know, uh, less less than noble characters. So if he is financing an Israeli prime minister, by the way, he also, uh, Barack was involved with introducing Harvey Weinstein, who abused women in Hollywood, to Black Cube, which is former, uh, Mas former Mossad agents. And furthermore, uh, Olmert, was deeply involved in that because he first he was the mayor of Jerusalem and then he became the Israeli prime minister because Ariel Sharon went into a coma and he is responsible for the 2006 war on Lebanon. Now the 2006 war in Lebanon was predicated on the Rafiq Hariri assassination in 2005 uh, in Lebanon which was blamed on Syria to get Syrian troops to move out of Lebanon so the Israelis could move in. And they had a one-on-one -on -one with Hezbollah because the Israeli military or the Lebanese military didn't lift a finger and Israel was still defeated. But that assassination plot, which was falsely blamed on Assad, no motive, by the way, why Assad would want to 
assassinate the prime minister of Lebanon, but it did act as a pretext to get the Syrian troops out. And that leads right into the Syrian war, et cetera. But so these are central uh, intelligence operations because that entire conflict started on the assassination of a world leader by a man, the head of a state who's in the black book of Jeff Epstein and has also been accused by an Israeli journalist of sexual harassment because he pinned her against the wall and stuck his tongue in her ear. And then we have the Ari Schur story and the George Steinberg story, which I talked about last time. So all this child abuse and it's centered around not just Israelis, Israeli prime ministers, plural, and he's getting financed through the mega group out of Canada and the United States of Zionist. And he is furthermore acting as a financial arm into the uh, coffers of Israeli politicians that made it to the highest level in the land. So Russian, right, CNN? <laughs> of course he's working for Israel. <laughs> so Maxwell was also, you know, he said his ultimate loyalty was to Israeli military intelligence. But it was far more complex than that. He was laundering money through Bulgaria. He was working with Russian intelligence. He was coming back from Russia and leaking things to MI5, MI6. To get Epstein taken out on U.S. soil shows CIA involvement or, you know, another intelligence agency, maybe one that we've never even heard of, but are U.S. based. So could you expand on the potential complexity? Really, Epstein, you could take someone out in MCC if you just had enough uh, connections to New York organized crime, because most of them already have most of the prisons like that, so they can do that. It doesn't really doesn't mean it wasn't the CIA, but it doesn't have to get that deep. Uh, the Clintons are very fond. The cocaine Clintons, I like to call them, <laughs> are kind of what everyone says. Oh, he got Clinton because it's funny. But there were a lot of important people. This is kind of like the JFK assassination. So many people needed him dead. Right. Not just the Israelis. There are a lot of billionaires that know what he has on them and that he was going to flip, you know, because this guy could take jail jail right he lived a life of luxury of abusing kids and uh you know you know what he did and how he lived he he was writing notes i can't this isn't fun he was just breaking and falling apart and his way out is to plea bargain up so everybody needed him out but when it comes to the cia and the Mossad and mi5 and six it they kind of bleed together they have shared nexuses like the safari club for example which is uh, multinational intelligence cliques uh, that they use. And yeah, Robert Maxwell was sharing intelligence, like moving arms and things out of Bulgaria is something the Israelis often do. Those former satellite states from the Soviet Union are, it's a place where there was an enormous amount of arms surplus uh, during the Cold War that now has no place to go. And it ends up, uh, it ends up being trafficked to warlords and al-Qaeda groups, for example. Al-Nusra Front, Arad al-Sham, all these ISIS groups in Syria, they didn't build tow missiles. They didn't build all these Toyota Hilux trucks or go buy them off the car lot. They didn't build all, all these anti-tank weapons and things. They bought them. And they got them uh, through this illegal arms network. A lot of them did come from Bulgaria. Uh, 
and Romania and played. The, the whistle has been blown on this, by the way, and they found the markings on the weapons. Uh, but they shifted them through uh, private companies like Purple Shovel, which is American. There have also been equivalent uh, British equivalents as intermediaries in the arms race. This is normal, unfortunately. And yes, the CIA is involved in that. And so all of them, all the three-letter networks get into that. So, but that's the kind of relationship that this uh, nexus has. And so what I try and stress is there isn't a very clear division sometimes when you're talking about international arms trade and human trafficking between CIA or MI6 or the Mossad, because a lot of them, like in Syria, for example, all of them have been working together to covertly arm uh, Al-Qaeda. Now, you can't do that publicly, obviously. And you couldn't publicly arm the Contras in Nicaragua either. But we know that Israel and the United States did do that jointly. They had a joint covert intelligence operation that in part sent contraband to Iran and used the proceeds uh, to explain weapons to the Contras to fight to Santanistas. Publicly, it was the opposite. They're supposed to be opposing the Contras and Israel's not involved. And the reality was Israel started it. They had been aiding them uh, and create, they created them from their onset and they had been aiding Somoza prior to the revolution in Iran. And they had they'd been doing that. The U.S. gets involved in 1980. And there's some great books here about that. One by uh, Terry Reid. It's called Compromise, Clinton Bush and the CIA. It's a kind of a thick nerdy read but it's got the best information and then the I've, other I've one got it, I've got like, it on the shelf behind me as well you, you got it in the shelf it's yeah, great yeah. trick or treason you might have this too by Robert Perry who used to be from that. Consortium News about the October surprise and I think if you read these two you'll get your head around that and it's very important to understand Iran Contra because the money laundering the the other half of that financial wing was illegal narcotics obviously uh, so it was contraband as well as drugs. And they do this now. And that's one of the central points about the war in Afghanistan is controlling opium, same as Vietnam was. Because the heroin, the opium, morphine base, all of the opium derivatives that you can make and sell act as an explanation for how all these terrorists are able to buy all these weapons. They say, oh, it's the money from the drug trade, right? That's because you have to have some sort of off-the-books budget to pay for all this junk. But the reality is the CIA, the cocaine import agency and others act as the, they give the logistical support. They've even used their own airplanes to move these drugs around and guns. And that's what happened and unfolded in Iran-Contra is that they were training pilots illegally, a lot of, mostly in Arkansas and MENA, for example, uh, to go in and bring guns in and bring drugs out which were openly sold in L.A., Miami, and New Orleans. And the New Orleans drug connection went all the way back to the banana wars of the 1930s. But that's another, I probably shouldn't spend too much time on that. But here's another one. You don't have to get this, but if you really want it, this is called Cocaine Politics um, by Peter Dale Scott. And that will get you in there. And then, of course, I always recommend Doug Valentine if you want the real, really nitty-gritty details on the organized crime distribution wing of it, whether it's that in the United States, and you can really think of Al-Qaeda and warlords and 
so on as organized crime and cartels in Mexico, et cetera. He has the best books on that. I'm, they're up on my shelf, The Strength of the Wolf and The Strength of the Pack, Doug Valentine. Those are the books you want to read. And people say, ask me sometimes, like, what video or where should I look? I'm like, mm -mm, just go read these books. The, you can't beat a book sometimes. It's just so – you've, you've read the Terry Reid book. That's very hard to sum up. <laughs> you have to read it. But if you understand what happened in Nicaragua, you can understand what's happening in Syria because it's the same thing. They even had both assassinated journalists, right? Nicaragua, they shot someone, and in Syria, they beheaded someone. And yet we're actually aiding the side we say we're fighting. And we haven't had that, you know, airplane down moment in Syria. But I think the whole world knows by now that we are not sincerely fighting al-Qaeda, that we have been covertly arming them the entire time. Uh, well, we created them, first of all. <laughs> we created them to fight the, uh, the Mujahideen fighting the Soviets in Afghanistan. And that relationship never died. And there was no dip during 9-11 either. That was hand in glove all the way through to now, which is a long story. But this is the kind of thing uh, that these people do. Now, that's Robert Maxwell's business. Is He's not that deep into moving arms and stuff himself, but he was a financial guy moving the money around. And you got to have those. They're called bagmen. He is one of the bagmen and media moguls. So that those tricks of the trade and trust and money, you know, they took him out because of what he did in the end, but they still felt loyalty to what he had done to the state, right? And so his daughter, uh, she's not, she doesn't follow in that, tried to, failed, but their niche was this sexual degeneracy where they were abusing all these young girls and they, they found a very key way to really throw some steroids into it. And that was rather than procuring girls from broken down homes and orphanages and things kind of the classic human trafficking trope that you know been practices they made it professional because they had an opportunity with the collapse of the soviet union you suddenly had access to these areas that were completely impoverished and yet full of you know it's not because they're impoverished because they're all drug addicts or lazy or whatever it's just because they're communist and so they had this golden opportunity to go into a lot of unknowns, uh, young girls, and set up modeling agencies and pick the cream of the crop, which is the better for a honey trap, and say they've got no economic opportunities and they're waving money in their face and promises and they'll get them out of the Ukraine or Latvia, et cetera. And then immediately once they have them in the Caribbean or the U.S. or France, they take their passport away they, and you know what happens from there. Uh, Jean-Luc Burnell's MC Squared or MC2 modeling, which first base is in Tel Aviv, by the way, uh, they got pristine, young-looking women, young women on the model level. And then you got Wexner that had Victoria's Secret uh, and L all those LL brands, professional models. And Epstein even tried to act like he was a recruiter, right, and sexually harassed Victoria's Secret models. But his thing went younger, and they did. And apparently he got a, a set of twins, or I think they're triplets that were 12 triplets. years old on his birthday. Yeah, triplets, 12-year-old triplets, uh, Virginia Gruffet said. And, uh, you know, it's sick, and they were how Mark Epstein was housing them. Maybe he had a I don't want to know, or uh, who knows. Maybe they, he just 
did it for money or didn't want to kind of suspected something. I just didn't want to see it because it's his brother. Who knows how deep he was in that? But they were housing them right next to them and they had a model full of ha- house full of models and they were in and out. And so that really upscaled the whole operation. They had access. That's just one of the modeling agencies, you know, and they, they're dipping in and using these girls who really had no voice. But sometimes uh, they would grab English speaking Americans who had run away from home or something like the case of Virginia Roberts. And that's really come back to bite them because these are the principal ones with the wherewithal to stick it to him later. I mean, she she was smart enough to say, I want to get my masseuse license and, and Thai massage, and they flew her out there, and she met a man and ran away and went to Australia where she was safe and distanced enough and brave enough to start talking. Unfortunately, it took a long time for any sort of justice to come, but I believe one of Eric Weinstein's questions in there, too, that he'll ask is, or should ask even if he didn't, is why? Uh, since we've known since at least 2006, he's arrested in 2008, but they had a 53-page indictment on him that the FBI did when I say they never followed through with. But why did they wait 13 years and never went after his cohorts like Gesleen Maswell and Jean-Luc Burnell? Why? not And Prince Andrew and so on. None of these people, Wexner... They're some of them are free and they publicly know their location and aren't even being questioned. And others have gone under the radar. Why didn't they raid all his properties simultaneously? They hit New York and they gave him the months to clean out whatever was in the Caribbean, whatever was in Paris, New Mexico, etc. And Florida, they didn't touch it. And apparently there's one in Ohio. They didn't even talk about that. They just hit New York, and that's where they did find the passport with a faulty name. There again, you know it's intelligence, too. And some of the victims had said, when I needed a passport, they just produced one for me. I guess you might be able to do that just by being ungodly rich, uh, but it's very easy to do if you have a state sponsor, which they did. 